Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So today is uh, class two. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> today is class two of our 2021 uh, Truth of Happiness Dhamma study. Just for clarity, we're running two different versions uh, on Tuesday and Saturday and Thursday. Our Thursday class, um, kind of our international sangha, is going through um, one class a week, one chapter a week. And our Tuesday and Saturday song, I know that some of you don't come each each and every class, but we're going to be doing uh, one class each day, meaning two classes a week. Uh, and so this is the second class on the four foundations of mindfulness. Last week's class was on the first chapter. Um, and I haven't, I don't know if, I re, if everybody has revised copies of the Truth of Happiness or not, but in the original, and I'm not sure which version I changed this in, uh, Shemakta Vipassana, uh, meditation is the same as jhana. I changed the name about three or four years ago. Uh, not really changed the name. I changed the reference to what the Buddha actually taught because jhana means concentration and that more accurately uh, depicts or explains why the Buddha taught meditation. And so last week we learned the, um, the, the what and the why, the method of jhana meditation. And this week, the four foundations of mindfulness um, teaches exactly what we're doing in meditation. And it teaches um, the type of mindfulness that we use in jhana meditation. But it's an important distinction. Meditation is not mindfulness. Jhana meditation supports the refined mindfulness that the Buddha taught, which is in many ways quite different than the mindfulness that is common today. And that doesn't mean that common mindfulness um, is not of any value. But it, most of what is taught as mindfulness today has very little relationship to the refined mindfulness the Buddha taught. And so in the Satipatthana Sutta, the, the primary sutta on the four foundations of mindfulness, the beginning section teaches what we do during jhana meditation as far as mindfulness. Mindfulness means to recollect or to hold in mind, and it's a dispassionate, impersonal view of whatever we're holding in mind. But in the case of the Dhamma, it's first jhana meditation, and then it's the other seven factors of the Eightfold Path. That we hold in mind as our path to awakening. So other aspects of mindfulness, in fact, as you read the Satipatthana Sutta, once the Buddha teaches us how to meditate and how to develop concentration, the rest of the Satipatthana Sutta is taught of how to apply that in moment-by-moment um, -moment mundane life, but in a very practice way in relation to the to the eightfold path and what we're to develop in the Dhamma. The reason why I'm saying that and getting into a rather lengthy explanation is many people have misunderstood the Satipatthana Sutta and the Anapanasati Sutta as both of them are instructions on different types of meditation, such as uh, a big one, or a big one is not the right word, a widespread one is meditation on the charnel grounds, charnel grounds or cemeteries. And the, the Buddha describes in the Satipatthana Sutta and the Anapanasata Sutta how we should feel about encountering our own death 
And he uses a cemetery or charnel grounds as an example of that, but not that we should travel to a cemetery and try to meditate in the way that the Buddha describes how a human body naturally rots. The reason why he teaches that is so we develop a dispassionate way of looking at our own body, that guess what? No matter what I do in this life, no matter what I accomplish, I'm ending up just like that, just like everyone else in the charnel grounds. And even the meditation on, on walking, the Buddha never taught us walking med meditation. He taught us a method of remaining mindful while we're walking. But when we start substituting walking meditation for jhana meditation, there's no dhamma practice there. It's, it's just a, a distracted application of mindfulness. It's not right or wrong. It just does not relate to the Dhamma. And there's many other examples that I won't go into. Uh, but again, that's what's included in the Satipatthana Sutta and the Anapanasati Suttas in the later sections of it. And other suttas too, where the Buddha is talking about how to apply our mindfulness, but not, not describing another meditation method. Again, the Buddha taught that one medita meditation method called jhana meditation or shamatvapasana meditation that we learned last week. Um, and just to uh, mention, because we have a couple of new folks, um, the, uh, the, the guided meditations, jhana meditations are on the website. And at least as you're going through the course with us, I would ask you to just use those meditation methods. Excuse me. And if you have any difficulty finding them, they're linked on the homepage, but just send me an email. All right, this is just an excerpt from the book. The four foundations of mindfulness, mindfulness is taught to bring immediate mindfulness of what is occurring during jhana meditation. So that's the main focus of mindfulness as the Buddha teaches mindfulness, is to apply it in this way that I'm, I'll just, I'm just about to describe. And so that truly is the foundation for the mindfulness, meaning that that mindfulness is rooted in jhana meditation that we can then apply to the rest of the Dhamma. And so when I'm referring to refined mindfulness, or even mindfulness in terms of the Dhamma, this is what I'm referring to. I'm not talking about modern applications of mindfulness. Again, I'll, I'll give the caveat that I'm not against it. I don't think there's anything wrong with most applications. Some are. Um, but as far as the Dhamma is concerned, we apply our mindfulness rooted in concentration to the Eightfold Path. So again, I'm just going to read that once more because it kind of directs our entire Dhamma practice. The four foundations of mindfulness is taught to bring immediate mindfulness of what is occurring during jhana meditation. Mindfulness is the quality of mind that supports developing lasting peace and happiness. Practicing mindfulness within the framework of the Four Noble Truths is straightforward, accessible, and easily understood in practice. So another reason why I put that line in it is I've come and encountered many people that talk about their mindfulness practice but really are confused about what it is. This is what it is. If, if you find that you're hoping to practice mindfulness, but you're confused about what you're doing, it's because you're practicing a mindfulness that is distracting you. It's not that mindfulness is failing you. You haven't developed the underlying foundation and the four foundations of mindfulness to keep your mindfulness focused. Mindfulness means to recollect or to hold in mind. We can do that with anything, can't we? In fact, an, an example or a description of a distracted mind is a mind rooted in wrong mindfulness. So a distracted mind could be holding a lot of things in mind, such as I'm getting a new car tomorrow, or I wish I didn't have that fight with my girlfriend or my boyfriend, or I wish the boss wasn't upset with me, or I'm glad the boss loves me. Those are, or you, and we can hold these things in mind, which means we've now become obsessed with something. That's an aspect of mindfulness. I'm a recovered alcoholic and drug addict. For a great deal of my life, 
I applied mindfulness in, a, in the way that it's applied today, except I held in mind my next drink and my next drug. It almost killed me. It almost kills many people. But it's an aspect of mindfulness that's hurtful. And I only bring it up because we, we need to be disenamored with the idea that I'm being mindful and be well-focused and disenamored of being mindful of anything other than being mindful of the Eightfold Path, if we're to be Dhamma practitioners. The four foundations of mindfulness are, and, and as I'm reading through this, notice that this is what you're doing in every meditation session, being mindful of the breath in the body. That's the first foundation of mindfulness that the Buddha taught 2,600 years ago, and that we're still doing today, effectively, when we're practicing jhana meditation. Notice how the guidance and that I give during meditation, the, the verbiage, relates directly to the Four Noble Truths. The second foundation of mindfulness is being mindful of feelings arising and passing away from the sixth sense base. The sixth sense base simply is our five physical senses and that sixth sense of concentration. And in this sense, it's not concentration with a, a cosmic concentration with a capital C. Consciousness in relation to the Dhamma is simply ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of Four Noble Truths. So as we're encountering phenomena and we're interpreting it through a mind that's rooted in ignorance, we can only interpret phenomena from that point of view, a wrong view. And that's what leads to distraction. That's what leads to stress and suffering. When we're developing concentration and mindfulness within the, with the framework of the Four Noble Truths and the more narrow framework of the Eightfold Path, we're developing refined or right mindfulness. There's a reason why the, second, the seventh factor of the Eightfold Path is described as right mindfulness or wrong mindfulness. It implies, again, that we can hold in mind things that do not lead to awakening, that do not develop the Dharma. The third foundation of mindfulness is being mindful of thoughts, again, arising from the sixth sense base. So the first three foundations of mindfulness we do in every meditation session, in fact, the fourth one that I'll get to, we do as well. But it's important to recognize that this is exactly what we're doing. We're establishing the four foundations of mindfulness. When I begin my meditation, I establish seclusion. I close my eyes, I close my mouth, and I start breathing through my nose. And I notice that I am distracted by a feeling or a thought or a thought attached to a feeling. A thought attached to a feeling we call an emotion. It's a judgment of a feeling. And so when I find that I'm caught up in a thought or a feeling, I simply recognize the impermanence of it, the arising and the passing away, both are important, and I come back to the sensation of breathing. So every time we are distracted by a feeling or thought, the second or the third foundation of mindfulness, and by the way, that's not exactly linear, linear. it could be a thought that leads to a feeling, but as soon as we're distracted by a thought or a feeling, we immediately come back to the sensation of breathing in our body. We're reestablishing that first foundation of mindfulness. And that is our basic practice. In fact, it's not, it's not the basic practice. It's also the advanced practice. This is the only meditation method that the Buddha ever taught. And it does lead to establishing the concentration necessary to awaken or gain full human maturity. As we start interrupting the process of self-identifying with feelings and thoughts, which is what most of us do, we're taking our feelings personally, we're taking our thoughts personally. But think about that. We're doing it in our own minds through our own thoughts. That means we don't have control of our thoughts. Another way of saying we've gained control of our thoughts is we've developed concentration. So as we develop concentration, we're able to interrupt that process immediately of self-identifying with feelings and thoughts. And so continuing to self-identify and establish a fabricated self in the world through our feelings and thoughts. And so how often do we relate how we are as human beings 
by how we feel. How was your day today? Well, we feel it was a, it was a, an upsetting day, and that's what we relate to people. Rather than the proper response was, I had a day. I had another human life, because that's an impersonal way, and that shouldn't be fabricated. We shouldn't make that up if it's not true. But an awakened human being is not distracted by or even notices or places any significance or importance on temporary feelings arising and passing away. But that doesn't mean that if we lost a loved one that day that we simply ignore it. Even the Buddha, even Siddhartha Gautama, who had gained complete control of his feelings and thoughts, when he heard that his dad was dying, he wasn't just aloof about it, and he just blew it off as, well, I'm the Buddha, I'm above human life. He made preparations to walk the 140 miles to be with his dad before he passed which shows a mind that is well concentrated, but not distracted by emotion. And that's just what he did. And that's, that's the type of mindfulness that I talk about and we talk about all the time. This, this type of refined mindfulness does not provide an escape from life. It doesn't distract us further from life. In fact, it fully establishes us in our life as our life occurs. And that's what awakening means. Awakening as described by the Buddha, as described by me, means full human awakening. I mean, full human maturity. A, a fully mature human being does not judge something in a personal way. They simply understand it as life as life occurs. And, that the, and you could say that the Buddha was the first one to gain full human maturity, and now he's still teaching us how to do the same 2,600 years later. The fourth foundation of mindfulness, being mindful of the present level of mind. There's a misprint in the article. Um, and that simply means to be at peace with the present quality of mind. You've heard me say often, to be at peace with whatever is occurring, whatever is arising. And the guidance to that during our meditation is notice the quality of your mind. I say this when we're coming out of meditation. Be at peace with your mind. That's the fourth foundation of mindfulness. The fourth foundation of mindfulness, as we've taken the process from being mindful of our breath and our body and using that anchor of mind and body to not be distracted by feelings and thoughts leads to a quality of mind of calm and peace no matter what is occurring in our life. So even though there may be something that is upsetting in a human way in our life, we're not distracted by needing that stress to be any different than it is. Excuse me. And some people will immediately go to, well, how do I live in the world that way without judging? Excuse me. Without judging something positively or negatively, I like this or I don't like that. But as soon as we're doing that, we're taking whatever that situation is personal. And almost every single time in life, and I really should use, use the term almost, I mean, all the time, there's nothing to be taken personal in our life. But I, the reason why I say almost is I think, and as I'm teaching, we should take the Dhamma personally because it's the one thing that restores the self. But we shouldn't take it in such a way that we're judging ourselves harshly. That's, again, that's why you'll always hear me say, in Dhamma practice, the key is to always be gentle with ourselves. And that directly leads to the fourth foundation of mindfulness, doesn't it? Because in this moment, if I'm, I'm at peace with my mind, no matter what's occurring, I am being gentle with myself. If in this moment I'm meditating and trying to apply jhana meditation to that level of mindfulness and I find that I'm constantly distracted, I should take, I should realize how fortunate I am that I have a practice that allows me to go from that distracted state by simply being mindful of my breath and my body and so deep in concentration. Again, the reason why I say that is many beginning meditators and even people that I've talked to with, with years and years under their belt still get frustrated that they're not able to 
uh, completely eliminate their thoughts. But the Buddha never taught a trance-like state was of any value. And if you think about that, it isn't. We're not trying to eliminate thoughts. Uh, I could teach, I've said this a few times, I haven't said it recently, I could teach you all a method right now, it would take about three minutes, that you would all develop a blank slate, and you might think that that's valuable. The reason why I don't teach that is it's just a trick, and it's just another distraction to a trance-like state. It's the same as teaching someone to aspire to a non-physical establishment of the self, a speculative state. So there's no value in, in learning to create a, a trance-like state. There is value to gain control of our feelings and thoughts by recognizing when we're caught up in our thinking and come back to the sensation of breathing. Jhana meditation contains both of those factors, not just being mindful of the breath. So don't ever judge yourself harshly that you have to keep doing that because every time you do it, you're doing it, you're, in, you're deepening your concentration. It's a fortunate act. Recognition of the initiation of eye-making, which is, which is taking your feelings and thoughts personally. Recognition of the development of eye-make develops the ability to bring continued eye-making to cessation. It makes sense, doesn't it, that the, the, the entire Dhamma is geared towards understanding the ongoing nature of eye-making, moment by moment. That's what keeps us in distress. And the recognition and abandonment of that is what eliminates that distress. Mindfulness is a dispassionate, focused awareness on whatever is arising in the present moment without being distracted by judgment or discriminating thoughts. So that one line could lead people to think, well, that's what mindfulness is. And so that's all I have to do is be mindful of what's arising and passing away. The only way that can develop dispassion and non-distraction is through jhana meditation established first. Because then a, a, uh, an ordinary monkey mind type of mindfulness is what is, is just continued in that way. Being mindful of feelings as feelings arise allows the feeling to dissipate and allows a deeper tranquility to develop. And that's the end of what, I'm, what I mean to teach uh, as far as the book is concerned. So it, it's important. There, there's a few, um, we're wrong, we always have this, we don't always have this discussion, but we've discussed it in the past, calling a, some suttas primary and secondary suttas. Primary suttas, I, I would say, are, are the, the Paticca Samupada Sutta, the, teacher, the teaching on dependent origination, both the Dhammachaka uh, Pavatana Sutta and the Sakavabhanga Sutta is a primary sutta, describes the Four Noble Truths. And the, 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 the Satipatthana Sutta, the Sutta on the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, is another primary sutta. And especially the beginning portion that we have to understand this as the foundation of our Dhamma practice. But it's also important to remember that we do this. This is not something that is inaccessible, this level of, of mindfulness applied to concentration. It's, it's any, or, any human being, any ordinary human being can practice this four foundations of mindfulness and bring it in to their jhana practice and so then bring it into their, uh, and, to, and so to develop the refined mindfulness necessary to hold in mind the entire eightfold path. Um, so uh, I'd like to go around a room, hear what you, you, you're learning about jhana meditation, what you learned about the four foundations of mindfulness and how that relates to or if you understand how it relates to, to jhana meditation. And I'll put Karen on the spot first, and she's she's up at the top of the screen. How are you, Karen? Good morning, John. Good morning, everybody. So nice to be here, and thank you, John, for doing this. I mean, I know you have been teaching this for a long time, over and over again, but it really helps uh, people like myself to uh, 
to finally get these little glimpses of awareness. And when we were meditating earlier, uh, and even before we sat to meditate, I'm just noticing this constant, constant eye making thoughts, you know, am I if I speak today, will I sound okay? Or will I sound like an idiot, you know, and it's, uh, it's kind of funny. It is. I, it's uh, absurd. It really is. It really is. And um, so just kind of noticing that, and um, I wrote a couple of things down. Uh, I mean, I guess the reason I'm here today is because I want to learn uh, that that is not me. And but one of the questions that did come up for me was, well, if that's not me, that's not mine, that's not who I am, then who am I? And yeah. maybe that's a question for another time, another yeah. class. I'm sure it's not something that uh, can be addressed here and now. But um, I, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think that's enough for me. I think it's, it's uh, I'm, I'm learning as I go here. Uh, and I think the, the chapter on mindfulness was very helpful. Yeah. So thanks so much. Thank you, Karen. Uh, thanks for the question. But you're you're describing recognizing eye making that you're developing the Dhamma as it's intended. Uh, that's that's kind of the it relates to this foundation. So you, you've established a foundation. As far as what am I if I'm not these things? You're an ordinary human being living a human life, and that sounds almost too vague until you understand what it means to live free of attachment and free of a fabricated self. So there's, there's no real difference between an awakened human being and one who hasn't developed the Four Noble Truths. It just means that they're not awakened. And so we stop taking things personally. Again, the, the question infers a level of eye-making that just hasn't been addressed yet. What happens to me? And almost everybody that I've ever taught has asked that question in one way or another. What happens to me when I let go of all these views? Because we believe that the view is us. What the Buddha's teaching is the view isn't you. What you are is simply a human being. You don't. Another way of saying that is we don't need a view of self in order to be a self. In fact, in fact, when that view is rooted in ignorance of four noble truths, the view of self that we create is a, is a self that is constantly prone to stress and suffering because it doesn't understand or does not have full human awareness of what it is. So I hope that answers your question a little bit. But it's a person who lives without stress. Thank you, John. Thank you for the question. Liz, good to see you. Mute. Good to see all of you. Um, As I was reading through uh, along with the book, there's a note in my book that I hand wrote. I don't have a date next to it because this is probably my fourth time going through the the course in uh, happiness um and it says develop a relationship with your mind that is calm and peaceful and if you are a person that doesn't have a calm and peaceful mind it just sounds so logical if you can have a relationship with your mind when it's up and down and and running here and there you can also have a relationship with your mind when it's calm and peaceful and um and that naturally feels better you know um some people require that 
that pace to keep themselves motivated, but it, you know, it's a wonderful thing to be motivated by a calm and peaceful mind too. So that's what I'm remembering today. Yeah. To some people, even the purpose of the Buddha, the Buddha stated purpose is to develop a calm and peaceful mind through understanding Dukkha. And to many people, I would say, I don't, I don't want to spend my life doing that. But some people recognize that's really what we're all, chasing after that's that's why we try to get the biggest hut with the most coconuts because we think that's security and safety and, and it elevates us against the people with lesser huts and lesser coconuts but of course that's just the struggle of life isn't it of, of constantly establishing ourselves and so as we develop the dhamma it doesn't mean that we don't care about the hut and having a couple of coconuts we don't need that motivation uh that self-referential motivation to live in common peaceful life in fact if we want to we have to let go of those self-referential views. Um, and those of us that have developed, and Karen was just uh, leading to it, even if you develop it just a little bit, you start recognizing the benefits of the diminishing of eye-making because it, it just feels better. In fact, another way of saying that is it feels less. You're not constantly agitating yourself. That's what a common, peaceful mind is. Thank you, Liz. Good to see you again. Jen, how are you this morning? Good morning. Um, wow, I might get emotional for the first time in quite a while. You might get, well, I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Can you hear me? Yep. I said I might get emotional for the first time in quite a while. Ah, well, you're going to make me emotional too, so you better not. Get brought back to uh, going through this course again. Um. So, I've I've said it a million times, the four foundations of mindfulness are, to me, they're the ABCs and the one, two, threes of Dhamma practice. And they seem so simple to just be mindful of your breath, your thoughts, your feelings when you're meditating and being mindful of basically the Eightfold Path, Four Noble Truths, and what you're doing when you're not meditating. Um, And somehow, uh, if you aren't doing that, and you're practicing for a long time, you can still be unkind to yourself. And it, it's something that I'm realizing right now in this moment. So, you know, I am a teacher, I've been teaching this stuff, and yet I still realize that you have to be kind to yourself. And I think it was Karen's question that made me realize that, you know, um, conditioned mind is just going to keep growing up different things to think about if if i'm not kind to myself even when that's going on then i'm going to be distracted so that's what i'm realizing right now and i was hoping you would call on me just a little bit later so i could get it together before i uh got called on so there's more eye making (laughs) (laughs) so Jen, when you find, thank you for your honesty too. When, teacher Jen, 
when you find that you're not being kind to yourself, what do you do? Come back to the sensation of breathing. And why do you do that? Because your breath is what's occurring and because whatever it is in your mind that's not being kind to whatever it is in your mind that's feeling upset about not being kind is all just I'm making and conditioned thinking. Yeah, and when you, when you do that in that situation, you, it's the most gentle thing you can do for yourself, and that's pure Dhamma practice. Again, when you find that you're acting unkind towards yourself or others, that's not the time to judge yourself harshly. It's the time to realize this is not me, this is not mine. This is not what I am, because as soon as you judge yourself harshly, you're saying, yes, this is me. This is what right. I am. And that's an aspect of that subtle form of human self-loathing that, I've been, that I talk about. It's a, it's a common human condition that we think that we should beat ourselves up in some manner if we're to better ourselves. I mean, that, that's even, even taught in schools. It's certainly taught as a, as a social model. Um, and it, and it, it hasn't worked yet. And the Buddha recognized that the foolishness of it too. So, again, Jen, thank you for your honesty and for, for sharing that. Thank you, John. Steve, welcome to your first class and welcome to our Sangha. Thank you very much, John. Um, full foundation of mindfulness is very interesting uh, parts of Buddhism. It's very fascinating. Could you speak up just a little bit because you're coming through the computer as well so people can hear you a little better? Oh, sorry. No, no, thank uh, you, Steve. Uh, so thank you very much. And full foundation of mindfulness is very uh, fascinating parts of Buddhism for me. I agree. And um, give you some example. Uh, you know, we're talking about jhana meditation and it's uh, great, uh, calm, peaceful. And uh, I have some probably addiction in personality. I so attach to this calmness and peace. And uh, when you attach stuff to stuff, you create suffering. And you go on and on and start to frustrate you because you look at this nice and peaceful experience. Yeah. But thanks for mindfulness, I able to recognize this. And I able to up to some point and return to present to my body to my breath it's very kind of like a profound feeling because yeah. you see this online and you have tools to drop it yeah. it's it's amazing so it's i don't know how to describe the words well you, you did you, you described it beautifully steve and that's that's the um, that's an important recognition of how simple, but how how profound, how powerful, jhana meditation is, and that gives us, uh, that re encourages us, doesn't it, to keep going and keep practicing. So, thank you for bringing that today, and I, I hope you join us again. Thank you very much. It's a very interesting group and very interesting yeah. teaching. It's very unique and whole. Uh, American community plus like this. Well, it's great. Where, where, where are you uh, logging in from, if you don't mind? Again, you don't have to answer uh, it. I'm logging from Cleveland, Ohio. I live now in the United States, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, but it's, 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 it's still amazing because I never see Sanka like this who uh, studied Theravada Buddhism and so uh, simple. If you don't have unique talent to simple even in your book, in your a dharma quest, simple way to explain stuff. Well, 
It, it, thank so you for God saying that. It, when I what, again, I really appreciate that. The uh, um, that goes back to the simplicity of the Buddha, though. When I finally realized what the Buddha was actually teaching, and I had to put it in the context of, I had to first understand dependent origination and what he's meant by the four noble truths. But once I understood that, then all of the other suttas are seen in that context, and it does make it rather simple. Some of the translations are still rather difficult. They're very, very repetitive, et cetera, et cetera. And when they get into the mystical, I have to understand what they're meaning in, in relation to what is non-mystical. They're just using that as metaphor. Um, but the Buddha's Dhamma is, is really incredibly simple, but it makes sense that it would be simple, isn't it? He's just teaching us how to be human beings and, and it works. So thank you for joining, Steve. Mary, how are you? Hi, good morning, everyone. Good morning, and Mary. My sister Liz, I miss you, and just seeing you on the screen was uh, made my day. Me too. So, um, you know, everything is uh, everything is in here, and um, you know, part of what I'm reminded of is during the retreat. You know, you gave a, a description of directed thought versus reactive thought. I've carried that with me and I was reminded of it again today. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I would have never known that you didn't react to your thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, oh gosh. So I'm still, uh, you know, working on that. Um, but what I do take is um, that I am able to um, interrupt my thoughts I'm able to feel when my thoughts are arising and interrupt that now, most often. Um, but I like what Jen said about the ABCs and the one, two, three, about the four foundations of mindfulness, because yeah. it is something that, you know, once you get through this whole course, you know, you can put something like that in your office or somewhere, you know, the mirror in the morning, and it reminds yourself about the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path as the guide for your day, daily living. So, um, yeah, I'm very excited. I think this is my fourth or fifth time going through the class. Not that that matters, but you learn. I, I, I guess I just mean that there's always more. Yeah. Uh, to learn, even if you've been through it before. And then I did want to just say some encouragement to Karen, because, boy, I saw absolute, like, um, awareness and learning going on with what Karen shared with us today. Yep. So congratulations and, uh, you know, glad you're able to be with us. Yeah. Thank so you thanks. so much, Mary. Thanks, Mary. Thank you. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. It's wonderful to just watch. I mean, we, those of us that have been doing this a while, like Mary and, and Liz and you know, a lot of us here, it's just it's wonderful to see other people get the Dhamma. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why we have classes like this. Like it's not just a, you know, an, a, a, a teaching an opinion of a concept and, you know, we all go home. The, the Sangha discussion is, is at least as important as the teaching itself because we're teaching each other. And Karen just gave us all a teaching. She won't admit it, I don't think, but you did, you know, that this is how it works. So thank you. Uh, I want to go to, to, uh, to Ram first. Ram, I know you, you might have a time crunch. So how late can you stay? Um, I can be here. Uh, 
till about quarter of ten. All right. So when when you got it, if I don't pick it up again, tell me when you have to leave. But so, um, what what do you got to say for yourself this morning? Well, um, as always, it's just good to go back to the book here and and go through it again. Uh, just as as in the Buddhist teachings, every time you you run this cycle again, there's more things that you that you see or things that you realize you didn't see. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was thinking of metaphors because the, the, uh, how mindfulness fits in, in Dharma practice um, can be a little confusing uh, and how it relates to jhana. Um, and I, I realized that jhana is, uh, is like the starter motor of, of the car of the dog, but the engine is mindfulness. This is what drives everything. All the other parts of, of the car you know, going down the road are, are driven by mindfulness. Yep. That's where it, where it all comes down to. Driven by refined mindfulness, though, we should say. Yeah, refined mindfulness, definitely. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, in, in an older metaphor, uh, um, you know, the driver's whip is, is jhana, and, and the horse is mindfulness. Mm. This is what brings us down the road. Yeah. That's a good metaphor. Thank you. Would you put the... Let's talk to Dylan next. Okay, sure. That's a good view. Yeah. Hi, Dylan. How was your first class with us? And welcome to our Sangha. Thank you. I, I would say it was a little challenging at first. I, I get caught in a cycle, especially in my background. Um, but I enjoyed it. And uh, I definitely learned um, quite a few things, especially when we said we get to the second and third foundation, which is like feelings and, and thoughts. And once you get lost there, come back to the breath. Sometimes yeah. when I get lost there, I stay stuck there. And I, it takes me a longer time to get back to the breath. And I, I feel like if I just uh, keep practicing that, yep. um, but it's just definitely challenging. I'm very new to this. So I say thank you for having this. I'll continue to come and grow. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. And every one of us, would, including me, would have said the same thing. It's very challenging at first. That's one of the reasons why the Sangha is so important in getting the support of each other. Um, so, you know, you, you have now, you're now a part of our Sangha and we all support your, uh, your awakening and your Dhamma practice. Um, that what you mentioned, that length of time sometimes, when you, I think you said it, it seems like it's a long time before I come back to your breath. Yeah. dismiss how long it is. It doesn't matter. If you're, if you're meditating for 10 minutes and you spent nine minutes thinking, but one minute coming back to your breath, that's an effective jhana session. And if you start judging that, you'll you'll eventually just leave your cushion because it's just too painful to do that. So whatever your meditation practice is, as long as you continue, and that's an aspect of right effort, the sixth factor of the Eightfold Path, as long as you continue that, you're going to develop the Dhamma as we all have. Um, are you using the, the recorded guided meditations from the website? Yeah, the past two days I've been using it. Only the 10-minute 
I, it's hard to go past that. Mm -hmm. Just my focus will start. That's fine. If I, I tell most uh, new meditators that you start with five or ten minutes uh, twice a day, but that's enough. Are you meditating for twice a day? Um. Yeah, I, I try to. Sometimes like three, like if I feel really anxious. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I try to space it out like eight to nine hours. Like I'll wake up. I usually wake up kind of late, maybe ten. And I'll do it at like eleven, and then do it at like eight at night. So. That that's perfect. That's a that's a, a that practice um, is strong enough to develop the dhamma, along with the other things you're doing. Excuse me. So just remember that it's not just meditation. It's the other seven factors of the eightfold path that support deepening concentration, make it easier, and as our concentration deepens, it becomes. Uh, we become ever more effective at remaining mindful of the entire Eightfold Path. And you'll understand that as this develops. Um, next week's class on Tuesday is on the Four Noble Truths, and then the week after that we get into what exactly is the Eightfold Path and what does it look like. So in a few weeks you're going to have a, a pretty broad understanding of what the Buddha actually taught. So it's great to meet you. And uh, again, if you want to have a phone conversation or a Zoom session, um, just send me an email uh, anytime and we'll set it up. I'd like to talk to you. If you, if you can do it, please do it. Yeah, appreciate that. Well, my pleasure. Um, is Becky there? I think Becky's in the room. Hi, John. Hello, Becky. Yes, I'm here. Hello. Nice to see you. Nice to be here. Good to see you. Um, I think this is my third time listening to it's so great to go to this course again because you you refine your understanding and and you you realize that you've grown and you still have a lot of growth to go through but it's great i'm so glad that you continue to do it and this is a perfect time of year to do it i was going to yeah. look forward to it now um anyway i <clears throat> I wrote something down uh, about the first two chapters, and I just like reading. First of all, I, I would like to quote John, right? and he says, mindfulness is a dispassionate observation of thoughts and events. I'll just this up for a minute. Concentration developed through jhana meditation is needed to develop refined mindfulness. Yeah. Staying focused on what our mind is presenting moment by moment requires powerful concentration because our conditioned ego or self is like a team of forces pulling us up, pulling us toward distraction, toward the distraction of analysis <clears throat> and evaluation, yeah. which leads to the whole mass of entanglement. When we are so entangled, we can never see what is truly happening yeah. in our life as it occurs. As I was writing this, I got the, and I got to this point, I remembered something that Josh said. He said, life is a fight to see things 
things as they really are. When we are able to see things as they really are, we are, we are able to sit back and respond, mm. not react out of ignorance. Once this point is reached, it becomes impossible for us to add to the chaos. Yeah. That's what I love. Thank you. Thank you, Becky. Uh, David, how are you this morning? And uh, for those of you that can, uh, try to make it to Frenchtown next Saturday because I don't want to blow the surprise, but there's going to be a special event for David. So, <laughs> David, how are you? Just thinking about what Becky said, then you take it off the cushion. And how do we go through our day? We're so enamored by our thoughts and our feelings and what do we do? We're terrible listeners. We're engaged in, I always think of like a group of kids jump roping and what's that kid not jump roping doing? They're thinking about jumping in and start jump roping. They're not listening to their friends, they're not listening to the conversations. They're so enamored by their own thoughts you're not even quite engaged with what's going on and what this refined mindfulness does is it gives you that tool to see things arise and pass yeah. and gives you that space not to be reactive and not to have wrong speech but to go back to listening it, it, it gives you that tool to become a good listener and engage with what other people are are thinking it's not just your perception of what's going on out there so the mindfulness is like rob said it's that's what you're developing and that's really what the practice is all about so i love this course yeah. thank, you. <laughs> thank you david listen we only have about 10 minutes so i'd like to get to all of you but keep it brief sorry anthony good to see you hi hi everyone um, I'm glad you said that the four foundations of mindfulness is a primary teaching because I was thinking that it has to be because the the practice of the dispassionate non-judgmental awareness of the five senses and I, I hesitate to say especially thoughts and feelings but that's the one that we all seem to gravitate to the most yeah although I think if you have a lot of pain problems that could be the problem you know or you know or a noise could be distracting I mean, it could be anything but that's generally what it is but that practice yeah. of mindfulness gives us the fertile ground uh, to absorb and reflect on the teachings and then apply them in, in, in real time, which is very yeah. important. And, and I think like everyone I've been listening to has been demonstrating that because Karen was talking about her eye making and Jen was talking about how she was not happy you called on her because she was emotionally vulnerable. And by the way, Jen, I, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way because it was beautiful. Um, and even myself, before we began this, I'm thinking, I don't like the lighting. My face looks dark. I look old. And I just said, screw it. <laughs> just screw it. You know? So that's why I think mindfulness is just so important. And I know you told me to keep it brief, so I'm done. Uh, thank you, Anthony. I think you look great. As best as I can tell, that's a, it's a pretty good haircut you got. It's not quite there yet, but it's not. It not there. <laughs> thank you, Anthony. 
Uh, Kevin, how are you? Good to see you, my friend. Hi, John. Um, I'll try to be brief too. Thank you very much. Um, I'm glad we're going over the course again. I think when I first started to meditate, you know, it, I was using it really to manage stress and in a way to try to escape from stress, yep. you know, to think if I, if I just do this then everything will be great. And then luckily um, within the first few months of starting that I discovered John, I discovered your um, teachings, your teaching of the Dhamma and uh, came to it. So it's been so helpful and mm -hmm. it's great to go over this course again. Um, I think one thing that people have talked about, and I heard it from Steve and, you know, maybe from Karen, from everyone, I mean, is the calming. Um, in the instructions, you know, initially it's become aware of the breath. And then to realize how the, the character of the breath, I breathe in a short breath, I breathe out a short breath, I breathe out a long breath, etc. And then in the instructions, I think the next thing that comes along is I breathe in calming the breath. I breathe out calming the breath and then I breathe out calming feelings and I breathe in calming feelings, et cetera, and then thoughts. And really it's this calming. And over the years of meditation, I realize when I often still, when I start to meditate, I'm, I almost hyperventilate because I'm breathing, 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 breathing. And then mm. I calm my breath. And when that happens, then genre really happens. Yeah. So um, thank you. And uh, you know, hopefully everybody will stay calm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well said, Kevin. Thank you. Tim, good to see you. Hi. Uh, I'm not going to go through any preamble. So I'll just go right to the point because of time constraints. Um, maybe I shouldn't even say anything because it really requires more thought than just a 30-second but I will say one thing, that an emotion is, a, you know, the reaction to an event that, we, that we're judging ourselves. And, you know, it's hard to, to understand mindfulness, to be mindful, right? So be mindful of your mindfulness. It's almost like a catch-22. Um, the other thing I would say is that uh, through the context of the form of the truth, Right meditation, right mindfulness is part of that eightfold path. So uh, you can't have one without the other. It's a link. Anywhere in that eightfold path, anywhere where that link is broken, you're not practicing yep. properly. You're, you're suffering. Um, and that also uh, ties into mindfulness as well. And mindfulness is a foundation. What does found, the word foundation mean? Foundation is a really important word. It's, it's, it's the base. It's 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 the rock. Yeah. It holds. It's the glue. It holds things together. That's what foundation means. Yeah. And so, keeping in mind those four things that we need to go through as we meditate: thoughts arising, passing away; feelings arising and passing away; breath arising and passing away. Quality of our mind. What is it? There's a spectrum. Not enough to go, what is the quality of a mind? It needs to, to know what it is. And then the last thing is that difference in... Well, I just got to need to say that, I don't mean to interrupt you, but that last foundation of mindfulness is not something we get into analysis. Whatever it presents itself is what it is. It's just the quality of my mind. But that's, it's not enough just to say quality of mind. 
quality is a quality is a is a it's a it's a spectrum. Yes, and so whatever whatever the quality is, however it falls on that spectrum, is what's occurring. That's exactly right. Yeah. So that being said, is our quality of mind coming from a self-referential part, or are we aware? That difference between awareness and ref and being referential. Yep. If we're being referential, we have some issues here that we need to look at because we're suffering. We're going through this process of dependent origination. If we're aware. We can recognize that emotion arising. You know, human beings. You know, emotions are geared as as animals. Emotions release. It's a release. It makes us feel better physically. We well, sometimes, but it can also make us feel awful and make us ill. Right, but but there's a trigger. Otherwise, uh, on an evolutionary standpoint, there would be no reason for a person to ever have an emotional reaction if they had no benefit. But to your point, because of our of that factor, that, that aggregate of consciousness, it can hurt us. It will cause it will cause pain. It will cause suffering because yep. it's a reaction. It's a reaction to it. So I don't want to keep up more time. That's why I'm saying there's more to it than. <laughs> yeah, and there is as it applies to the Dhamma practice, but the four foundations of mindfulness are not terribly complicated, or apply themselves well to any type of analysis. They're meant to be. This is what's occurring in that. And of course, off our cushions, we can think and ruminate about our feelings and thoughts all we want. That the point of jhana meditation is that's not what meditation is for. It's simply to go to recognize those four foundations and establish them as our Dhamma practice. So, and you made that very clear, Tim. Thank you very much. Uh, Julia, we only got about a minute or two for you folks. So, <laughs> well, John, sorry. Um, I, wrote, I wrote something because I did my homework. <laughs> uh, I'm going to read this. I don't think it'll take too long. Uh, the breath in the body is the life force of the body. The breath keeps the body animated. So being mindful of the breath in the body brings the mind in the body at the present moment. Mindful of the body, I mean of the breath, in the body develops an understanding of an ego personality and its interaction with the phenomena world. Being mindful of the breath in the body allows one to become a detached witness of the body. The mind recognizes and notices through a calm and peaceful mind that this ego self is made of the four, four impermanent elements. It recognizes these parts as parts that simply comprise a human being. These parts are not unique. With dispassion, a mind recognizes that the body is subject to decay and will pass away. Through jhana, mind is further conditioned to be present and to witness itself through wise restraint, a point of contact. It notices that phenomena, things the ego self notices, are rooted in desire or aversion. It recognizes how it uses the phenomena to define self and define its parameters. It recognizes that through wrong view, it uses the phenomena world to create a permanent self. In being mindful of impermanence of the body, dispassion is developed in an understanding of things arising and passing away. The breath arising and passing away Feelings arising and passing away, thoughts arising and passing away, the body arising and passing away. By understanding the arising and passing away of all phenomena, release and unbinding become possible by understanding the three marks of existence. By being mindful of the breath in the body, we become mindful of impermanence and understand emptiness, that there's nothing in this world that can substantiate a permanent self. 
That's all. That's what I got. That's uh, my, that, those are my notes for, uh, for this lesson, John. Well said. I don't have enough time to comment on it. But, Michael, you got about uh, two seconds. <laughs> Noble silence. Uh, I, I'm so glad you joined us and you understand that. Uh, so uh, I want to finish with Meta, so I'll, I'll speak quickly. Uh, next uh, Tuesday's class is on the, I think, is the, the third in this series. It's on the Four Noble Truths, so you'll read that section and write a little bit about it. And also our Thursday class, if you can join us, is also on the Four Noble Truths. Uh, and then you know, the newsletters will, will show what Saturday's class is. The beginning of the Eightfold Path is next Saturday. Um, and everything is on the on the website too, and I'll put this talk up later today. So if you want to, you need to reference it. But uh, thank you all for a wonderful class. Rom, thank you so much for facilitating this and, and kind of jumping in at the last minute. Um, we'll finish with Meta as we always do if I could find it. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. Unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing, in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class this morning. Peace. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Dylan, give me a call if you can. Great. Steve, it was great to meet you. Great to meet you, John. Thank you very much. Liz, great to see you again. Say hello to your sisters and say hello to Bonnie. <laughs> I got a great letter from Bonnie the other day, too. A great email. So, oh, so nice to get cool. it. Yeah, yeah. That's great. John, did you get my picture of the uh, retreat that I sent? I, I did. I did. I didn't get a chance to, to thank you for it. Yeah. Or, yeah, or do anything with it yet either, but I will. So I thought it was cute. It was. It's really great picture. Put on your goggles and look at it. I will. <laughs> Thank you. See you, Anthony. You too. See you, Kevin. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you.
Peace.